Good evening to each of you. Brother, I understand the, the nerves. I understand that, that very much. Uh, I may have mentioned it before, but uh, one of the reformers, I don't agree with everything he taught, but he was right on this. Anytime he gets behind a pulpit, he trembles. And it's not because he's nervous. It's because he's concerned about uh, representing the one whom he is representing correctly. Will you open the Word of God this evening to the Psalms again? We looked at Psalm 4 this morning. We'll look at Psalm 18 this evening. Psalm 18, verses 16 through 24 will be our text this evening. The title of tonight's message is, The Lord's Rescue. Here the word of the living and the true God reads, He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also upright before him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. David, come back to the title that we may understand what the context of this psalm is. I mentioned it briefly this morning, and we looked at 2 Samuel 22, which is the parallel. The title of this psalm, To the Chief Musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, we come to the portion of the, uh, of the psalm where the, where the psalmist David is describing the Lord's rescue what the Lord did for him, how the Lord rescued him from the hand of all of his enemies and Saul. And in that day, David was a man with many enemies, not by reason of himself. He did not do anything for Saul and the, other, and the others to hate him. But he was no, nevertheless a man with many enemies. As always, people will hate the Lord's anointed. Psalm 2, as we've noted previously in, in Sunday school some, some months ago, uh, was not only applicable, David is the psalmist, you see that in Acts chapter 4. So it was not only applicable in David's day, the apostles applied it to the Lord Jesus Christ in his day. And it is also true throughout all time. The world has always hated God's people. They have always hated the Lord and his anointed. And make no mistake, we are all anointed, whether we've, been, whether we've had oil poured on our head or not. That is what the essence of Christ, or Mashiach, really means. It is anointed one. Obviously, the Lord Jesus Christ being the preeminent one, being the chief anointed one. But nevertheless, you and I are also anointed with the same Holy Spirit that he was, he without measure, us with measure. We're not, we're not just like him in that regard, but you understand the point that I'm making. David was a man with many enemies. He needed a rescue. He needed a rescue that only the Lord God could provide. And for the man, after God's own heart, 
That is exactly what the Lord would provide. Let us examine this rescue that the Lord provided David and the reason why it is that the Lord provided it for David. That might be, it was surprising for me, it might be surprising for you as well. Let's begin in verse 16, verses 16 through 19. We see the Lord's doings, how the Lord, what, the, what it is that the Lord did. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. Now this Hebrew word is where Moses got his name. Mashah, or Mashah I, believe, I believe is the, the Hebrew word. I don't have that in my notes. I'm going off memory. But come back to Exodus 2 and verse 10. And that is the same Hebrew word that is used in this verse. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter. That is, Moses' mother brought Moses to Pharaoh's daughter. Remember, Moses, uh, Pharaoh required all the Hebrew boys to be tossed in the Nile to drown. Moses' mother, and when she could hide him no longer, made an ark, made a small boat for him, and set him in the water. And then let the Lord handle the rest, because she could no longer do it under her own strength. And Pharaoh's daughter found him, and said, I'll have him as, as my son. Moses' sister was a servant to Pharaoh's daughter. You can, read, you can read Exodus up to this point, and you'll find that. And she said, oh, I know a woman who could nurse him. Would you have me to go find her? And she said, yes, have him nursed. Once he's weaned, then I'll take him. The Lord really blessed her for, for trusting him, not, not following a wicked decree of a wicked king. Nevertheless, here the child grew. She brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter. And he became her son, and she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew, I drew him out of the water, just as David is describing in our text, because he, he drew me out of many waters. Moses, in that, in that portion of his life, the water would have been the enemy. He was a baby. He couldn't, he couldn't defend himself against the water. He, didn't know how to, he couldn't swim. He would have only been a few months old. So the water would have been his enemy. The Lord saved him from that enemy. But I want to show you that waters are not always just literal waters. David, as we read, never had any experience with water where water was the enemy. <clears throat> Come to Psalm 93. Waters do not always refer to, to literal waters in the scriptures. Psalm 93 and verse 3. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lifted up their waves. There, there is some figurative language there. Floods don't have voices. Water doesn't have a voice. It's an inanimate object. It doesn't have a voice. Come to uh, Psalm 98. <clears throat> Psalm 98 in verse 8. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together. It's talking about Gentile people. This, this, these are people, large amounts of people, so much that it looks like a flood. It looks like a lar such a, a vast magnitude, such a vast multitude, excuse me, that it, that it looks like a flood. Come to Revelation, where we'll see confirmation of that. Revelation 17. <clears throat> Revelation 17 and verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. 
Now, we won't focus on all that's going to be discussed in this chapter. Just know that he's about to give, uh, he's about to be given a symbolic vision. But know this about the book of the Revelation. The interpretation is almost always given in the text. That's exactly what we're going to see here. Come to, come to verse 15. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, remember she sat upon many waters, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Lots of people that she was sitting upon. Nations, tongues, languages, large amounts of people. Now, you can take that and apply it to the the rest of the chapter. The rest of the interpretation is also given in that chapter for who the the great whore is and and what the kings are, the the horns and the eyes and all all of those things. But that's not our focus this evening. We could chase chase that rabbit and maybe we will someday. But today is not that day. I was simply using that as an illustration that waters signify peoples. Here, David is drawn out of many waters. He had many enemies to be drawn out, all drawn out, drawn away from, to be saved from. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. Remember it said that he was delivered out of the hand of all his enemies and Saul? Come to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Saul was a great enemy. And he would have had many, many people on his side. He had the entire nation of Israel behind him, being the king of Israel. He had an entire army with him. 1 Samuel 18 and verse 8. And Saul was very wroth. He was angry. And And the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. What can what can he have more but the kingdom? David was a great war hero, and he had slain more people than Saul, and so the people were attributing to David. They were saying Saul had slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. He's a greater war hero than the king is. Saul was jealous. The people are are attributing to him greater things than the king. So Saul, verse 9, and Saul eyed David from that day forward. I'm going to keep my eye on you. I don't like you. David, again, has not done anything for Saul to merit that kind of of dislike or, or distrust. He's never done anything to break Saul's trust. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God, yes, we read that correctly, evil spirit from God. God is in, tro- in con- complete control of even the evil spirits. The devil may be the devil, but he's still the Lord's devil. To test Job, did he not have to ask permission? He may have been walking about upon the earth and, and determined that there wasn't anybody to test. Who began that conversation about Job? Has thou considered my servant Job? Well, if you'd let me, if you'd let me touch him, he's, he's in your hand. He had to ask for permission because he is still the Lord's devil. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand, as at other times, the harp, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. Saul tried to do this to David two times, and David avoided both times. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. 
Saul had been told that the kingdom, your son, will not sit upon the throne. The kingdom is torn from you, and I will give it to one who, who is better than you, one whom is a man after my own heart. He uh, and dropped down to verse 25. Here's an ev- here is one time in which Saul sought to uh, deceive David into essentially killing himself. Not that, not that David would turn his own weapon against himself, but that the mission that David was on was deemed to be an impossible one. And Saul said, Thus shall ye say to David, he's telling his servants to tell this to David, The king desireth not any dowry, but an hundred foreskins of the Philistines, to be avenged of the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Saul didn't desire a dowry for his wife Michal, or for his uh, uh, daughter Michal for David to wife. He desired a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. That means he'd have to kill them. He's talking. He's essentially talking about a hundred dead Philistines, and he thought, "Oh, surely David's not gonna. Not, David's not gonna win this. David's going to die when when I give him this impossible task." Come drop down to verse twenty-seven. Wherefore David arose, went, and he and went, he and his men, and slew of the Philistines two hundred men. You want a hundred? I'll give you two hundred. And David brought their foreskins and gave them in full tale to the king, that he might be the king's son in law, and Saul gave him Michal, his daughter, to wife. And we continuing Saul knew uh, and Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David. And Saul became David's enemy continually. All he had done nothing but what Saul had asked. He had done nothing to prove himself unworthy of Saul's trust, of Saul's loyalty. But yet he hated him continually. Notice Saul was David's enemy continually, not the other, uh, not the other way around. Saul became David's enemy continually. Saul was after David, not the other way around. David was never after Saul. Two times he could, have, he could have slain him in the cave and in the camp that we looked at this morning. But he would not lay his hand against the, king, against the Lord's anointed. He would not lay his hand upon the, the anointed king of Israel. He let the Lord handle that, and the Lord did. The Lord did handle that. It wasn't, uh, he did not die by David's hand. The Lord deli- would deliver David. I want to show you a time where, where the Lord providentially delivered David from the hand of Saul. There, there is an instance where he's hated by a strong enemy. But here is an instance where the Lord providentially delivers him. 1 Samuel 23. <clears throat> 23 and verse 26. And Saul went on this side of the mountain, and David and his men on that side of the mountain... And David made haste to get away for fear of Saul, for Saul and his men compassed David and his men round about to take them. He is running from Saul, he and his men. They are now compassed, they are encircled by Saul and his men. They might be able to see them, they might not. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. But what David does know is if, if they close in, they will die. They're outnumbered. There's nothing they can do. They're outnumbered, they're outgunned. They've got, there's nothing physically, there's nothing naturally that can be done for them, to, for them to be saved, for them to be delivered. But there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee, and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Who's in charge of the kings of the earth? Who's, uh, in whose hand is the heart of the king? 
the Lord's. The Lord could have had the Philistines invade a day later. If he had, David and his men would have been dead. But what happens? Verse 28, Wherefore, then, Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore called they the place, and if you can read that, feel free to chime out. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to attempt to read that. The literal translation would be the rock of divisions, one, one side against the other. That is what, what, that is what separated the two sides, what was probably between them. They were saved. They were delivered by the, providentially by the hand of the Lord. There's nothing miraculous there, but the Lord set the events so perfectly. Have you ever noticed the Lord's deliverance is always right in the nick of time? He loves to, to bring us right out on the edge. Do you know why? Because that shows our trust in Him. When things are easy, we get lax. Humans are men, and, and women included, mankind. is a very forgetful creature. But bringing us right out on the edge causes us to know that He is the only arm in which we can trust, not the arm of the flesh. It's not a matter of uh, if the arm of the flesh will fail. It is a matter of simply a matter of when. If David was trusting in anybody else, there, there would not be any deliverance. But since he trusted in the Lord, the Lord delivered him. This is just one of those instances. Saul had a nation of men on his side. But when we have the Lord on our side, it matters not. Because he will, he will work all things according to his will. <clears throat> in his time, for his purposes. We come, back, we come back to our text. Saul, an enemy too strong for David. But yet the Lord, uh, the Lord delivered him. They prevented me. Now, old, old English, they preceded me. They went before me. They were in front of me. Not prevent to prevent something from occurring. They were in front of me. They went before in the day of my calamity. They were the ones that caused his day of his calamity. But the Lord was my stay. The Lord was his staff of support. It's what he leaned on. It's what he looked to. Not himself, not his men, though I'm sure he was grateful for the Lord to provide those men, but it was ultimately the Lord that was his stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. This large place might seem kind of strange to us. That doesn't sound all that safe. When, when a tornado's coming, we don't go to a large place. We go to a small place that's dark and it's cramped. So we do the opposite. But in those days on the battlefield, a large place was a safe place because you could see all around you. They didn't have you know, long-distance rifles like we have today. They didn't have the kind of weaponry we have where you can shoot over the horizon. If you could see all the way around you, nobody, nobody would be able to get close to you. So a large place was a safe place. It's where you wanted to be all by yourself so that you could see all the way around. It is the Lord who delivered him. Because he delighted in him. This word delight, the Lord did it because he was pleased with David. This word delight is rendered delight 39 times, please 14 times, pleasure 3 times, and favor 2 times. And why is it? So we've seen that the Lord did this, but why is it that the Lord delighted in David? The Lord delighted in him 
because, because of David's behavior, as we're going to get to in David's doings. David's doings will be the rest of our, the rest of our passage. But know, know this before we get there. Those of us familiar with the New Covenant, those of us familiar with, with what the reason for our spiritual salvation that was wrought by the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us familiar with that has nothing to do with us. We come into an understanding of it later. This pictured that, except there is one minor difference. This happened because of what David had done. And we understand that it is the Lord who works in us, both to will and to do, of his good pleasure. We understand that Isaiah even said so. It is the Lord that hath wrought all our works in us, Isaiah 26.12. So that's not just a New Testament teaching. It is also an Old Testament teaching. We We continue to verse 20, verses 20 through 24. We see David's doings. We saw the Lord's doings, 16 through 19. David's doings in verses 20 through 24. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. There is a difference in righteousness, temporal, earthly righteousness that we, that we achieve through works. And, and a difference between that and the, righteous, the, the, righteous, the standard of righteousness that is required to dwell with the Lord God in heaven forever. There is a difference between those two. When Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness, temporal, earthly righteousness, believing what God had said, is very different than having the imputed righteousness of Christ. If this text was talking about the imputed righteousness of Christ, every single one of God's people always would always be delivered because that righteousness is perfect. There is not in any impurity in the Lord Christ's imputed righteousness. So this is speaking of David's behavior. This is speaking of that which, which he had worked. Now, it is still the Lord working in him. It is, it, is still, uh, it is still the Lord who receives the praise and the honor for having done that very, those very works. But David is here talking about obedience. He is talking about the, the, the earthly temporal righteousness from obedience to the word of God. So there is a, a, a very a, a big difference between the two. And I'm hoping to draw that, make that very clear. That righteousness does not, that, that salvation type of righteousness does not come from obedience. That only comes from the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross on your behalf. This is, this is a different uh, righteousness being used in a different way. We, we, and, and that is a hard thing for us to understand because we're so familiar with there's none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10. Citation from Psalm 14 and, and 53. Uh, Ecclesiastes 7.20. There is, no, there is no man that does not sin. Uh, um, and uh, 1 Kings uh, eight forty six. There's not a. There's no man on earth that sinneth that that does not sin. Those old those New Testament texts that we that we go to for the sinfulness of man, many of them come from the Old Testament. Those two uh, ones that are not cited in the New Testament, but teach the very same thing. This this is not talking about that salvation type righteousness. This is talking about obedience to the Lord God. <clears throat> Ananias, we, we spoke of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. 
this morning. They did not have what David had. They didn't have, they could not say what David said here. So just so, so we're on the same page, this is speaking in relation to men. You read in Genesis 6 verse 9 that Noah was upright and perfect in his generation compared to those in his generation which had completely departed from the Lord God. So there's a, a comparison, if you will, that the Lord is making with, uh, with his generation there with Noah. So the Lord rewarded him according to his righteousness. Now we have to change, again, we have to change our thinking. He's not talking. We don't want, uh, nobody would ever say, I want to be rewarded according to my righteousness. Different type. Different type. Talk, again, talking about obedience. Recompensed according to the cleanness of my hands. But my hands aren't clean. Again, not what he's, not what he's referring to. He's talking about obedience. What is it that he did? Verse 21, for I have kept the ways of the Lord, bless you, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God, because, for or because, uh, he has walked in the ways of the Lord. He has not wickedly, that wickedly is important for us to know, he, had, he understands he's a sinner, he's not, he's not sinlessly perfect, he's not claiming to be. He hadn't wickedly departed from our God. He had not departed from God like the wicked do, seeking to go completely their own way, having no regard for what God has said. That's what he's saying. I haven't done that. I may have departed from God, but I have still attempted, acknowledged him, wanted to walk in his ways, though I haven't always done it perfectly. Verse 22, for all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. David did not behave in a, in, in a wicked manner. Come to Psalm 14. Back just a couple of Psalms. David did not behave like this man. To the chief musician, a Psalm of David, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. David had not walked like this man. And if you have an italic, if your Bible shows italics, you'll note that there is is italicized. This man says in his heart, no God. It's not necessarily that he's denying the existence of deity. He's saying that that deity has nothing to do with how I live my life. He, may, he, is, he is in essence a practical atheist, whether he is an atheist or not. He lives as if there's no God. And do we see that in our world today? We have, we have many a fool, especially running our government, which is a horrible place for them to be. Psalm 36, <clears throat> Psalm 36, David again had not acted in this way. Verse 1, the transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He has left it. He knew, he knows that that's what he should do. He knows that he should be wise and that he should do good, but he chose to leave it off. I'm not going to do that. I know, I know that I'm supposed to, but I'm not going to. David has not behaved that way. David has, has not uh, put away God's statutes from him. He has not wickedly departed from our God. 
And we continue on to verse 23. I was also upright before him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. You remember the exhortation in the book of Hebrews? That Paul, Paul is saying, uh, so the sin that doth so easily, let us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is to be run, the race that is set before us. David certainly didn't know that text for it was written much, much after his death. But he knew the principle that that text taught. He, did, he kept himself from his iniquity, the sin that doth so easily beset him. He's not talking about the the sin that so easily besets me or you. The things that his flesh desired, he kept himself from. And it is the Lord that worked that in him. But it is also the Lord that gave him the blessings for that obedience. We've talked, we talked this morning about how gracious our Lord is for performing the work in us and then giving us the blessing for that work. What a gracious and merciful God we serve that will do that very thing. He doesn't have to. But he's made promises, and he will keep those promises. He cannot deny himself. David did not allow himself to fall in the sin that, doth so e- that would so easily beset him. But one, th- one other thing to note about that. When David was on the run, he wasn't able to take the scrolls with him. Not everybody had the word of God. In fact, very few people did. Probably the king and the priests. That's probably about it. It was very expensive to make scrolls because you had to handwrite it. The printing press wasn't made until what, about the 16, 1500, some, somewhere around in there. So it would have been very expensive to have copies of the scrolls done. David did not have them when he went on the run, yet he knew the Lord's judgments. He knew what the statutes were and didn't put them away. What did he do with the word of God? Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. He hid God's word in his heart. That is how he kept himself upright. What does the word of God say about this situation? That. And so that is what, I, what, he, what, he, what he did. He sought the Lord in all that he did. And therefore the Lord would prevent it, would keep him, would actually our, our modern term prevent him. From, from performing the iniquity that his flesh would have desired. Verse 24. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. Men may have said, oh, David's a great sinner. Men may say, they, oh, you're a great sinner. But in the eyes, in the eyes of the Lord God, that is the eye, those are the eyes that we need to be concerned about. Those are the eyes that, that we ought to be concerned about being clean in front of. Men, men don't know, but the Lord does. David was concerned about being clean in the Lord's sight because of the, clean, the cleanness of his hands. He hadn't shed any innocent blood at this point, and he would do that later. But at this point, he had not done that thing. So the Lord rewarded him according to the cleanness of his hands, according to his righteousness, that he followed the Lord God in all of his ways. Because of David's behavior, because of his love toward his and our God, the Lord delivered him. Men may have said that he was something that he was not, because the, but the Lord would tell, and he knew here, 
that he was clean in the Lord's eyes. He knew here that he was clean in the Lord's eyes. God allows men to make their bed and for them to lie in it. Whatever that bed may be, a bed of mercy, he will show himself merciful. Look down at the, at the next verse. I'm not, I'm not going to go through, through these verses. My, my text ended at verse 24. But just to give us some insight. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. With the upright, thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the froward, thou wilt show thyself froward. Or, re- or wrestling, twisted. Just as they twist, twist things, he will twist them. The Lord God allows men to make their bed and to lie in it. And they will get, they will reap what they sow. David had sown a bed of mercy, a bed of uprightness, a bed of righteousness, a bed of purity. And the Lord delivered him because of it. The Lord showed himself pure, showed himself merciful, showed himself upright with David because he was the same. May we think on these things. For these things are written for our admonition. They're written for our learning. These are not written to us, but they're written for us. For whatsoever was written aforetime, Romans 15.4, was written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. It takes time to learn these things. It takes time to understand how they apply to us. But through patience and comfort, strengthening of the scriptures, we might have hope that God would behave in exactly the same way as he has in the past. Because our God doesn't change. Malachi 3.6, I the Lord change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. The sons of Jacob aren't consumed to this day because of the Lord's uh, undying mercy. Because of who the Lord is, is the reason the sons of Jacob still exist to this day. He shows us mercy every day. His mercies are new every morning. Our Lord rescued David from his enemies. May we walk like David relying upon the Lord God for that walk as well as for the deliverance. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that it provides. Thank you for this 